What's up, everyone? Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm your other host, Paul Keelan. And today we're here with an even more unique episode. We're going to cover a season of Hard Knocks. And I'm going to let Jordan introduce this series, this world, because he's referenced it a few times on the pod already. And this is, quite frankly, my first entry into it, my first access point into this world of Hard Knocks. And so could you fill our listeners a little bit on its history, its sort of style? Hard Knocks is basically, you know, the behind the scenes documentary-esque style look at an NFL team each season. Um, they've recently expanded where they do like a mid-season Hard Knocks, which is really cool. So we get like a preseason look, then like a mid-season look of two different teams. Um, we'll get into that a bit later. But again, it's it's HBO's like flagship connection to to the NFL. HBO is known for boxing. They're big in boxing, right? Um, big on the investigative reporting, right? Of like the Ryan Gumble show of uh, of the sports world, right? Um, but this is like their their connection to the NFL, like their their flagship uh, property with it. So the way I came into it myself, though, is really through when I started playing fantasy football a bit more. Um, like I said, it's been around for 21 years. I've probably been watching it now for like five, maybe six years, I think. I think when the Cleveland Browns, when they had that season with, uh, I think it was Baker Mayfield, if I remember right. It's probably the first time I watched it. So again, it makes the preseason really interesting. I think that's one of the best things about it. It's more fun watching this than watching the preseason, in my opinion. That's kind of become my thing is I'm more excited to watch what happened on the week or whatever they're covering and then seeing it, you know, following week. But again, they're released in like real time or at least the week after, right? So you can kind of see the preseason game after you've watched it live and it gives you a behind the scenes look of how they prepared for it, lets you know about the personalities of the coaching. And we'll go into all the details more than nitty gritty, but basically it's, it's their behind the scenes documentary of not necessarily like the best team, right? That's a, probably my favorite part is like how they select the teams, but they find some kind of angle, some team with a good interesting draft pick, uh, some kind of quarterback trade. You know, there's always some kind of cool angle. Like I think with the upcoming one, we have the Arizona Cardinals. It's going to be midseason with like, you know, have a, not a new quarterback, but newish team. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be coming off suspension, right? So it's, it's a good narrative already going to that. So yeah, that's kind of a little background of the Hard Knocks series. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm so excited for the midseason because, you know, it's my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hopkins coming back. It's mm-hmm. going to be really intriguing. You know, their coach, I think, is ever so slightly on the hot seat. I don't like that take personally because the Cardinals is kind of a crap organization. And in my opinion, Kyler Murray and, you know, their their current coach, Cliff Kingsbury, is, I think, done a pretty decent job, all things considered. Just considering, like, where they were when he came on board. Not a huge defender. He makes some weird calls and so forth. But I don't know. I, I just think that like the worst thing about American sports and specifically football is the coaching carousel and this idea that like the coach makes or breaks a team. Okay. And a team is so much more complex. And really it's the the organizations that have more money and have consistency, especially if you're not the Cowboys with the Jerry Jones, who's trying to spend max dollar or like in a different, you know, league, if you're not the Dodgers, mm-hmm. you just want a good solid coach. Maybe we'll get into that a bit more with Dan yeah. Campbell. It'd be inter- in- interesting discussion. What you right? said, that's what makes Arizona such a good choice because it's mid season. We're going to see, like, like you said, the ups and downs and it gives you the alternative perspective of the best thing about hard knocks is it's more than just what's on the field. Uh, Hard Knocks gives us such a great look at the organization as like a workplace. It's probably the other thing I really like about it. Um, and like you just said, you see different kinds of workplaces, like the ones with a lot of money, which ones have, you know, different types of funding depending on the cities and stuff like that. It's really interesting. You get to see like a workplace culture that's different than a team culture. Teams have these culture and fanships that we bring to the arenas and to our couches when we're watching it. 
but we get to see like behind the scenes what their actual culture is when they show up to clock in, if you will, right? And saying that in quotes and how that drives what, you know, the type of performance they have is to me super fascinating, right? It's, it gives you a way different perspective of than like how we do it, right? We look at movies and these fictional teams, right? And we look at them as characters, which we do as well. I feel when we, when we worship sports players and we kind of idolize them, right? They become characters on our screens and characters in our lives, weirdly. Um, and this, you know, does a good job of bringing us closer to the individual, both as like a piece of the team and as a piece of like the larger workforce, which I find really fascinating with the, with the hard knock approach. Yeah. I love that. That's what I was going to say. My main takeaway just right away from this not uh, hard knock series was that it illuminated the business element of the NFL in a manner that I was not privy to. And I'm a huge football fan. I think there's no sport like football, like no mm-hmm. one touches football. It's the most entertaining sport in the world. I, I fully defend that as a person who never wore a football pad in my life. So I don't know anything about the behind the scenes stuff besides like reading a lot, mm-hmm. especially like when I was in college about recruiting and so forth, because I was around people who are obsessed with like the whole process from college to recruits to the, you know, the NFL draft yeah. to, to the pros. But I didn't know anything about like the ins and outs of a summer camp and, and making the, I think it's a 53 or six man roster or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about, you know, the power dynamics or just like the, the corporate, you know, banalities of it, like just showing up in that, like nice, but also just kind of bland room that they're always in and all singing. It's kind of like a glamorized classroom. Like they're going to school and a lot of when they go to their separate, you know, special teams room or the offensive room and they're watching video, they're like college kids in a desk. Right. Um, They're just like office workers, like who have, you know, when you go to campuses like Google and like, you know, a lot of like marketing companies and stuff like that, like they have all that stuff, like that's pretty nice and the architecture is really sexy. And I mean that literally it's like super attractive looking, really cool, enticing and all that. But like you said, the rooms themselves still function just like school and all that. It's still a pentoptagon kind of thing, right? Um, at the heart of it. But like, that's like you said, it's kind of a banality. It's still like at the core, these are just centers of learning, like learning their crap. Right. And still, how do you get them to the desk and give them these other like amenities that make them feel, you know, like the worker candidate experience? Like, how do you elevate that? It goes back to like Moneyball. Right. We have that great scene. We're like, well, can we get some Pepsi? And it always reminds me of that. Like all that stuff is kind of the trail to get you to sit in that seat and really learn. And we got to see that with the preseason, how critical like these coaches are of the dudes you don't pick up. Like we see like with uh, like easy, right? He's the dude who's really like learning. You see him and the coach have like this weird like beef because he's like, he's like a nonverbal learner with a stern look. And you see the coach like spouting it at him. He's not a classroom learner is my point. I'm trying to get at, right? Uh, but to be a football player, right? You, it's not just on the field, right? You have to have that study thing. Like you said, it's uh, one of the things that makes it so entertaining, right? Is, is the way those, when a good game goes and the battles click, it's like a good chess match. And you see the behind the scenes of doing your time, which is awesome. Yeah. And out of the major five sports, there's nothing like football in the sense of having to have fluidity through every member on your team. Mm-hmm. Like one player's off and they're offsides and that offside is going to kill a drive. And I get that like, you know, basketball teams have to be in sync and hockey teams have to be in sync, but they all have these positions in those sports that I don't know, they're not as interconnected and integral on this very massive yeah. sprawling level. It's five players. It's a core yeah. unit. They kind of have generalized roles that they can fill in. And um, as I'm working these definitions, I'm seeing myself getting caught into traps, but there's something about football that like you all have to be on 
the same page and you have to synchronize as a unit because of the whistle like it's the only sport that has the absolute stop start you know we mentioned like hockey like face-offs are critical it's a one time you can maybe do a set play by maybe like you hope the puck bounces the right way football you can at least throw it and have your offensive line give you the field that you're looking for like you said off the start but it's all it all relies on the team like I said set and start and then like just like you said reading the battlefield right very similar to two opposing armies coming at each other just like you said with the stop, stop and start though and that's the fun of it right is the whistle so like we talked about so is so integral into the game and how it's controlled and that adds to at least for mine like the tension really cre- increases with that yeah and i love the fact that you know a football team has two completely different units sometimes there's the tiniest bit of crossover especially in college when you have like an all-star player he'll do some special teams hmm. they'll even throw him in like randomly i've seen it in cornerback suddenly very very rare right if you just like a speedster and someone gets hurt but for the most part you have pretty strict positions you know in in the nfl unless you're tim tebow trying to <laughs> somehow be a tight end but that's just pure nepotism. But uh, but what I love so much, right, is like it also seems so much grittier and realer and rawer than a lot of the sports movies we watch, right? Yet it also feels like not too different from them. Like a lot of the raw, raw speeches we love in these oh, yeah. movies appear in this episode. And there's going to be a degree where we have to talk about like a performative aspect because they know they're being filmed (laughs) for Hard Knocks. Absolutely. But it doesn't feel that unnatural when they give these speeches. You know, I've been in on sports teams. I haven't been a football player, but at the end of practice before a big game on that Thursday or Friday night, like you're going to have someone who's a captain or leader on your team before you like give that final like rah-rah at the end of a huddle or something, give (laughs) a little speech, right? These are these moments that you know, build that camaraderie, build that power. And we see them and they can be very, very potent, very rousing, very emotional. Um, I love that. It's like fiction, you know, deriving from these sports moments, emphasizing them, embellishing them. And then the sports moments watching this, because all these players have seen all these movies, right? Like they've all seen, uh, you know, any given Sunday, they've all Uh seen, remember the Titans. I'm sure they, most of them could quote line for line, you know, even the water boy, even the joke ones, right. They, you know, they're going to watch sports movies and then you see them reenacting that. And I thought that was fun about this too. Oh yeah. So let's get into actually, I don't think we even said which team we're covering, right? So this season hard knocks is the 2022 Detroit lions, right? We mentioned Detroit, right? But we, we are, covering the lions right and as i said so this is like the 2022 preseason is what we're covering the first few games which is awesome we get to see those first like what four games they have right i think it is i always forget how many have for preseason yeah three or four i think it's just three so we see the three preseason games i think they get to play the steelers they get to play the colts and they play i forget what Oh, you already said Pittsburgh. No, I said the, oh, I said the uh, Falcons. They play the Falcons. Okay, yeah. yes. They lost to the Falcons. That was their first one. I just love, too, that transition and segue, too, because we come from these lockdown camps that are just kind of also like a summer camp. You know what I mean? It's just dudes <laughs> meeting each other for the first time because there's so much transience in this profession, right? People switching teams as we're going to talk about. A lot of the featured players on this aren't the stars, right? We get yeah. very little from our star players, right? Like, I don't even think Swift even talks almost the whole six episodes. I don't know what uh, Swift's personality is much, right? Uh, Goff gets one or two segments and they're like 30 seconds each. So we get very little from our the faces of the Lions. We get more time spent with uh, the newcomers and the people on the cutting block, right? This is really kind of a season that's intrigued by that competition to make the last spot on a roster. I thought that was really cool. I really love that niche angle. And 
to see some of these players getting stats that aren't even huge, like Reynolds, right? The running back, you know, I see him getting stat lines like 17 yards in a game. And you know, this dude's brother's in prison and zooming him after this game, right? And his dad's working out with him in the gym. And he's this like hardworking kid. You just like know the behind the scenes. You have such a humanized backstory. Once you get these, you know, depictions, these very immersive experiences with them, um, that simultaneously de-romanticizes the sport, right? Makes them so normal, takes the spectacle away, and then makes it so much more exciting because you just see these everyday people get thrown into the spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that transition into that. Oh, yeah. Like you said, it's the fun of looking at the rookies and the people, like I said, the people on the cutting block. You know, there's support systems too. This hard knocks, you know, like you said, it picks our cast of characters, if you will. Um, we already mentioned like it doesn't go over the stars, um, but we'll get like a lot of time with like Khalil Pimpleton, right? We get time with him. He's kind of like he's a wide receiver who's trying to, you know, make the team. He's like a slot receiver, right? He's a little really small little dude, but fast, right? That's his thing. He's super fast. They got some good cuts of him just like just running up and down the field, like just beating dudes. Doesn't have like the best hands though. Right. But he's interested in juggling. Right. So I love the setup. Like right away, Cinema 101, it gives us like this fun comedic relief, if you will. There's a lot of funny guys on this team. But like when you get to him, right, like like we all know they're going to that the last episode is going to be a tough one. Right. We're going to like these people and we're like, we have the ones we want to make it. Right. I'll say Pimpleton was one I wanted to make it. He had that big drop in the last game. Right. Was that the Steelers game? I believe it was. But he had a few big drops. Yeah. Really big ones, dude. Yeah. Like, for touchdowns and like those are the games when you're on the last you know tier of the team's depth chart it's the last you, thing that's going to stay in the mind of the whoever's going to You got to make that. those plays man i was always oh, so bummed yeah. when he dropped those cuz you saw in practice like this one moment where he's um like catching like balls in a row where he has yeah. one football in his arm and he's he talented <laughs> yeah he catches four and like you said he's he's a dweeby little guy he's like five nine i think at tops i don't even know but he's he's got a lot of charisma he reminds me of the little giants character right who's like i think yeah. butterfingers was his nickname because that player was always the fast one right yep. he's the epitome of the fast route running uh receiver who just has uh not enough height and no hands and when it matters attitude though that was the other thing yes. i liked about him like you said that his word is blessed and like he says it so much and he knows he says it so much and it becomes like a inside joke kind of like not on the team but like even for him i think of the camera and he'll be like i think the only word i can say is it's blessed <laughs> you know but he uses it in like such an earnest way and it's like really endearing it reinforces smile made him genuine right and it's it's that genuine angle even in the like you said um with the character oh, i'm sorry i keep on characters fucking players who was it um i kind of like that you say characters though because there's a interplay there they really yeah. are both players and humans differentiating the two that's what's fun it's like fact and fiction is blurred here um <laughs> I, in my in my opinion they know those cameras are on that's fair yeah. uh, like all reality tv right there's a distortion of the truth um there's a narrative building element going on with the editing process and you know we have to start i think with the head of the program right the yeah. culture change figure which is Dan Campbell, right? And yeah. the season knows to start off with him. And he comes in and he gives this really bizarre but hilarious speech. And <laughs> immediately, you know, this guy just oozes and emanates Detroit. He is grit. They have huge grit plastered the on the wall. Yeah. yeah, that's the mantra for the season is grit. And it's perfect, right? It's such a blue collar, down and out city mm-hmm. that is going to just get gritty and they're going to try to fight back. And they had 
like literally one of the worst all-time years last year. Yeah. They had a pretty decent end of the season. I think they ended with like three or four wins. Not in a row, but I think they ended up like four and 13 or something. And like, like four of the last five, they won. So, you know, you, I'm sure they felt the, the little momentum going into the offseason. You could feel that. You could feel that like they were the worst and it makes them such a good underdog, right? Because an underdog is that team that has been through the dregs. They've been through the mm. purgatory. They've been through hell. And it gives them a different edge. It gives them a different spirit. And that's part of this underdog spirit uh, storyline. It's not just about being crappy or being like the little giants who are all dweebs and dorks and nerds and girls mm. or whatever. It's about having endured seasons of being bludgeoned and embarrassed and battered week in and week out and feeling that misery, right? Yeah. That looming pall of just shame and mortification every time you step out on the field on TV on Thanksgiving Day. You know, the Lions get to play every Thanksgiving Day and get embarrassed before people mm-hmm. are eating their turkey dinners, right? And having to live with that and then swallow that and still wake up and still tie your shoes and show up, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, very much like that kind of culture and get back to work, get back to the grind. And you feel that you feel that energy in this team resonating and sort of building this sort of angstiness that I I really loved. I really love their outsider quality here. Yeah. But going back to, like you said, like the greenness and that Dan Campbell, like you say, represents the city well, but also he represents the like the language and archetype of a football player, right? And I mean, football player, like what you can do after your career, right? If you really love the game. It has a great segment where it explains how he became a coach. And like, it was all just working up the ladder, getting time, like apprenticeship, basically, right? Getting into the game, didn't work out, right? You can go through the list. It started with Miami, right? He eventually ends up, obviously, head coach of the Lions. But it has this great, again, the story behind him precedes him. But when we get the first episode of him coaching the guys, right, he gets them in the room, like I said, the, in the classroom, we'll call it right, with the projector and all that, right? And he gives, you know, his things of what he doesn't like, what he, what he expects from them, right? And it goes down, like Paul said, he's, he, grit is the mantra. And then he gives that like line that just cracks me up. It doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes, I'm going to beat your ass. And that's the thing he wants them to do, right? It's the idea. It doesn't matter what you're coming at, like whatever freak it is, whatever, we're going to beat your ass. You're like, I love it because you know, they don't know what that saying means. Like one ass cheek, three toes. It sounds like the guy's at a disadvantage, I guess, but you're still going to be his ass. It doesn't matter, right? Like it's just this weird image, but the way he says it is just like one of the boys. And like right away that him being a player's coach, right? Comes to the forefront and what that means, right? what type of player coach he is. And he's one of the ones who will work out with you, right? We have that great scene where he does the up downs on the first day of, of practice, right? And then after he tells a story of how, you know, I was dying there at the end. Like He's talking to his, his uh, coaching staff. He's like, there day I, I tripped coming in. I think he said with groceries or something like that, trying to get over some gate or something like, just like the, the average, you know, clumsiness of any any homeowner anyway everyone who knows this who's, who's tripped around the house right and you're sore the next day but he didn't want the boys to know right he wanted he still wants them to be imposing right he, he's a figure of a he's a massive man right he looks like stone cold fucking steve austin in his heyday right and he has that intimidating presence and that that like you said that grit is still there and i love that that's his mantra and like he doesn't necessarily define it he shows it right in that first day and like right away he's that dude like and he, all the players are impressed like all of like i forget who he's like man if i was done coaching you wouldn't see my ass out there doing no up downs i'm done with that he's like after i catch my last check no more up downs right and like you see it like the passion of the game is still in in there right it's not just like you said the new job it's not this the, the moment the, and the narrative of the show there's a lot of that that seems like him like he's a boy he, he doesn't he wants to be in the locker room like he, even though he's a coach and he's a leader right he still wants to be on the field right and and i love that that introduction to him it's just such a great 
like I said, really orchestrated and in, in, in the best way and that I think uh, Hard Knocks does, but just punctuated with the right work of ethic, blue collarness, humility, the idea of aging and all that's in there. And, and you know, and setting a leadership role. I love the way he said he defines his leadership through action. Um, and you see it's, it's a different kind of inspiring. Like we're talking about what the, what the Lions need. You can't point to to success and greatness. You can point to certain players who, who've left a big mark on the game. Like we'll see Barry Sanders, like make an appearance in this, but like he's showing again, like, you know, we have to also be passionate, right? We have to have the, the love of the game still. And that's a different kind of inspiring, right? It's something you can trust. Like you can trust, you know, beyond, you know, even if you don't win the season, you can trust you gain something valuable from this person that you can take with you through your life. I, I like that right away. I get that. Like as an audience member, I'm like, dude, this is a guy I would love to be a player for <laughs> like regardless of football. Like you coach my bowling team dude (laughs) (laughs) absolutely right and i was thinking of the national champions movie right where you have that rousing speech um in the hotel lobby that we talked about and broke down where the players were sort of inspired but all kind of checking themselves right and what you see here is a team that's buying into his thesis that's buying into his mission statement and he could be corny sometimes he gives a speech midway through the season about like torn jeans that doesn't quite work yeah Um, he brings in the visual aid (laughs) yeah it's kind of like endearing though because you know he's just like a big jock like doing his best for that type of coaching as well and maybe that's not his most natural side but Mm -hmm. when you really see him in his element man he's such a guy's guy he's such a coach's coach the guys really respect him right and you get that from this right i love all of the very difficult to watch last episode conversations that took place when they cut players, right? They Mm -hmm. kept saying like, I appreciate you, man. Like the players I'm talking about would tell Dan Campbell and his staff that the other guy that was with him, your words carry weight, man. Like you, you kept it real. You know, you got a tough job. And these are people that just literally got fired and just being like, I like the way you run things. You do it the right way, right? Mm -hmm. You treat us like individuals. You treat us like men. And they talk many times. The other thing I would say that's their motif is not only grit, but it's individuality, right? He wants a team that gets to be themselves. He doesn't want to have this, you know, collectivist business suit mentality. He Mm -hmm. wants to be that awesome outcast team of a bunch of outlaws who come together, get to keep their works get to keep their personality get to keep their flair get to be respected as the weird human beings they are and then work their ass off and i love that about it he really has that that dynamic down and then yeah they capture it really well uh the the crew particularly like the character with players like uh, craig reynolds right for like a few episodes you see them as a coaching staff um, and as a scouting staff, right? I love them. They get the scouting breakdown at the table and they show how everyone goes like they're safe. Um, but, but again, anyway, he's going back to uh, Greg Reynolds. Like you see how his attachment isn't necessarily to the talents, what he brings to the locker room. All the coaches see like, yeah, he's not our best running back. He would be okay as our second. Like, it's fine. If, if, if Williams goes down, we can use him. But like everyone says, like, if we cut him though, you're going to have like linebackers coming in here talking to you. Like we like him for the other things he does, the other things he does on the line, the things he does outside of that. Right. And that's every coach kept bringing that up. And even him, he's like, I know, I know. And you see like him wanting to keep certain players, right. That he knows he's going to have to cut Craig, Craig Reynolds ends up not being one of those, right. He makes a cut because of that connection, but he's, he says to him, like, you did everything right. And like, like you said, as an outside audience member, it's fair. He says like the thing you don't want to hear when you're getting fired, like you did everything you possibly could have done correct like there's hope for you in the future he says a lot of people mean like you'll probably get picked up by a practice squad you know you might have another shot but you know that's not really what you want to hear when you're trying to get it but like you said a lot of players understand like and i think you know they believe when he says that i did too like the player in him the player in him who's been through that who's been through the grinder who's been through those preseason talks who's you know eventually 
gone from a career to where you eventually get cut. Like he knows that. And like you see him really not wanting to be in that moment, like the hard boss. And that's what I mean by like, the players coach. Like they have these fair conversations and players come off like leaving, but like, it's so hard for him to be like cutthroat. Uh, Cause he really does. Like when he says he respects them and like empathizes them, he really does. And like, you see it's holding back tears in some of these conversations. Yeah, definitely a very emotional coach. I remember last season, there was a game after a major shooting in Michigan uh, mm-hmm. with the kid at the school and he was in tears in the press conference and came off as this like super burly guy who had a ton of emotions, you know, yeah. and was not a- afraid to be vulnerable as well. Right. So he has that element that you appreciate too. And it's often like the most masculine, you know, manliest of dudes that do have that sensitivity actually like our archetypes are off there like a lot of navy seals are like ultra hard right and then like the most emotionally like open individuals you'll ever hear or listen to and i know he's not a navy seal but he really reminds me in some ways of like a navy seal as well i think he went to texas a&m if i'm not mistaken in college and that makes complete sense to me he feels kind of like a military dude which isn't like super hip in our culture either. He's kind of an old school 1985, 1987 type dude, right? Kind of surviving. He's a relic, in my opinion. Um, Like Detroit, though. That's what's so great. He's like Detroit. He's like a muscle car. And I love that whole team just has that vibe. Like Goff is, you know, the pretty boy who went to the good team, you know, the great team got to the Super Bowl and they just kind of got, you know, shat on and discarded. Mm-hmm. So even... He has, oddly enough, the perfect, I think, persona now to be kind of a deadly quarterback that people over quickly crossed off their list. And to be honest, this year, Goff is a top five, top 10 quarterback. Yeah, He looked great on this program. And I was like, I've seen a lot of footage on YouTube and whatever of even practices, right? And as we all have, we're football fans. And I kept saying to myself, holy crap, like, I know that they can pick and choose. But he looks darn good in these practice scrimmages. Like, I was like, crap, he looks on. And he's been excellent. The offense of their team has been absolutely phenomenal all year. They are just a college team right now. And they're one in three or whatever because they their defense is all rookies. And they haven't gelled yet. And so that is interesting, too, to see, like, now the reality coming to life week to week. And to see how that you know, transpires as well. And it's been a slight disappointment for me because I'm really hoping and edging and rooting for them now that I know their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have that prejudice or, you know, that leaning, seeing them still struggle, still, you know, with a losing record and playing some of the worst teams in the league and losing. But they're not a boring team. They're probably yeah. one of the most entertaining teams in the NFL this year. That's a something. That's a something. And I don't think they're they're down and out yet. I think they have enough firepower that if they get a lockdown mindset on defense and start making some bigger plays, I think they could definitely make some waves. I mean, they've had a few teams down and out and they just don't have that killer instinct still, which is so interesting because so much of this episode yeah. was Dan Campbell reiterating the fact that like we were in every single game last year. And we just don't know how to close it out. And it's odd. It's some teams, it can stay with you for years, man. It's crazy, that identity. You've talked about the Chargers off the air with me all the time, right? It's like, you know, this this choke job. And every weird organization becomes haunted for decades until like, you know, they have their Red Sox, Bloody Sox moment. Yeah. that suddenly changes 90 years of the great curse from the Big Bambino, right? <laughs> the last decades. And it's fake and real. It's superstitious. Uh-huh. 
And it has tangible results that recur in patterns that are very yeah. trackable. <laughs> so and like really you said, cool. you're seeing the coaches like game plan of trying to combat that. Like, like he says, incremental, like it's not get a playoff worth. It's get on a way to get a playoff worth. Like the, all the coaching staff isn't like, they're not like, we got it. We're going to be in the playoffs this year. And like he says, it's, we got to get locked, lock these games down. And he keeps pointing that out. And like you said, it's going to be like, like week six or seven, getting pretty closer actually now. Like when we will see like what they said on a hard knocks whether they're on trajectory with that, right? Because a lot of it, they still are. Like a lot of those guys we got to see on here, like Amon uh, St. Brown, right? Mm -hmm. Amon Ross St. Brown, who's just killing it right now in terms of like fantasy football and like wide receiver stats is just a great gem on this. The, the hopeful, right? What you said, like hopeful, hopefully he works out at the right time so these other pieces will fall on the track. So next season, they're on track early to win. And that's the thing I like, right? Like seeing that, like following his and like Amon Brown's the one I like because I love when he goes through the list of the draft. And he says it like he remembers everyone who was whose name uh, who played wide receiver who was called before him who was drafted before him and he goes through the list like in order and they give the great clip of it and he's just tearing it up this season they have and they they get they give a good like again behind the scenes story of him of how his dad I think is one who's the world champion bodybuilder right he was like Mr Universe or something like that and he, his dad's his dad's fun his dad's one of the funniest people you'll see in this show especially in the stands he's very he's very just like speaks his mind he has that great comment where they're chilling in the stands or watching and he's like. I bet you Agent, Agent Hutchins' family's up there in the, in the press box. He got X amount of money signing. He, he's all, we over here though, but it's all right. It's all, it's all right, you know? Like, And he kind of, he says it in like such jest and joy and like, he's like, he'll, my boy will do fine guy, you know? And he does. He is on the trajectory to doing fine. Uh, but the way they build him up, like you said, then they 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 give like the, the journey of his parents and like how his father was integral in his work ethic, you know, teaching him and his brother how to bodybuild, telling them the, they, their wusses if they drink water, they should be drinking spit when they're, when they're, when they're, when they're lifting weights. It's those great lines. Like, and like you said, for those of us who grow, uh, grown up and, you know, play on sports, like, you know, we, we even encounter those parents who are like that, right. Who have that into the sport you're playing. They're a little harder on the other kid or whatever, somehow. And sometimes it's not always, it doesn't always pay out, but the way, the way they, they interacted was just so heartwarming for me. Just seeing like, you know, his, even as, as an adult, his dad's still there with like his, his workout coach, right. There's still, and I think his brother's on the bears. He said, right. I think, That's, I think you're right. I think you're right. right? Yeah. yeah. His brother is also very successful, um, yeah. which is fascinating. Cause you see how these father figures who really have the right mentality and instill like the right mentality with mm -hmm. their kids. And, you know, this is a funny thing to say, the right mentality, because, you know, maybe some therapists would say it's like absolutely toxic yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah. it works for this business sector. It works yeah. for this world. And it's often someone who is an athlete themselves that knows the grind. They mm -hmm. know the work ethic. They know the mentality you have to have. Yeah. I'm sure he instilled this, this gritty, grudgy, in some senses, tacky when you read it out of context shit talking that St. Brown does about every receiver that finished ahead of him in the draft, right? Because he was furious that he got dissed by every NFL team. And he's now been taking it out in quotes after the game on receivers on the opposing team who get like zero yards, right? And people are, you know, having a field day with these quotes. But when you watch the hard knocks, you understand where he's coming from. And it's less of an yeah. ill will thing. It's even less of a, a shit talking thing, mm -hmm. which it ends up being. So it's a little irresponsible and a little arrogant in that sense or just a little naive it's also kind of a grounding thing for him 
But for him, it's a grounding yeah. thing. That's what's so funny. In the grand conversation, it's ugly because that player is going to read it, right? And it mm. is kind of shitty. Like, you had a bad week. That's a human too. Yeah. And this guy's coming on here and calling out your stat line in an interview. I mean, that is a little, it's not shady. You know, you can do it. And it's trash talk, but like there's different ethics in different sports. There's different rapport across mm. the board, right? Like if you're a, a boxer, you know, if you're a UFC fighter, you're, you're promoting something, you talk shit. But if you're an NFL player who just won a game, you don't go and quote your other rival stat line. I just think that's kind of Bush League. It's kind of low. But when you watch this, you understand it's for him. It's a grounding thing. It's a return to his fuel. And he just harnesses this fuel. And it's this fury that he was the last receiver drafted in his class. And so, yeah, it totally humanizes that. And, you know, his dad's hilarious. He reminds me a lot of LeVar Ball. And (laughs) I I watched the whole first three or four seasons of the LeVar Ball reality TV show, which is, I guess, quasi similar to this, but way more TMZ like. Um, It's really a little bit corny. It's a lot about just like their domestic life and going on vacations and all that nonsense. But that just I thought I'd bring that up because that is maybe a somewhat adjacent type program to this that I have seen. I saw not the doc, but the docuseries called Cheer, which is absolutely phenomenal. I want to cover that as well. It's about a cheerleading squad in Texas that is like a community college, but beats everyone every year, like national champions for uh, like a decade straight. I've seen a little bit of Last Chance U, which is very similar to this. Um, So there is a lot of episodes like that out there. This is a sort of subgenre. It's kind of like a true crime genre. It's the behind the scenes docu series on a real sports program a real organization but this has a i like it a really a, a polish to it that that isn't so gossipy um it's really curious about you know the nuts and bolts of running a football team and it's so curious that it has some qualities that i kind of cringed at like the narrator this old <laughs> sounding white dude it's totally nat geo like nat geo style uh, what's his name? David Alterbur- Alterboro, whatever the famous old guy who does all the like planet Earth stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he has that voice. And it's so bizarre because it really sounds I'm going to just be blunt. It sounds like racist at times just because it. you just picture an old white dude talking about you know, football players, which is predominantly like not white races, like in the most like objectifying manner, like he turns them into like robots and cogs at times. And I don't think Uh it's, you know, intention the wrong way, but man, it came off his tone deaf to me. That was hilariously cringe. Every time his voice comes on, I don't know. It's this opportunity for like, you know, get a celebrity to do the voiceover. I think it's probably been him since the get-go though it sounds it like has been. i believe it sounds the same voice every season but like it's one of those ones like you know, like you said like maybe an update like because i agree like it's very and maybe role. Yeah. Like, it may, i wish i didn't use the term racist uh but i did see that and i i, I also think it's just condescending on an entire note right because like this isn't only a you know mono-ethnic squad right there's you yeah. know rodrigo who's latino because the nfl right now is changing a lot of announcers and stuff for these games and it's due a lot of these guys i've said like are just to be blunt like ages are too fucking old to be calling a game and keep me interested they're dinosaurs I, yes like, you yeah. know like for a while like they're they're great call guys like, i respect them but being blunt like there's a lot of younger talent out there on these post and pre-game shows and all that stuff. I love I love when Troy Aikman calls a game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's he's at that time now where they're finally putting him in there and getting him more like Monday Night Football and stuff like that. But like, like you said, it's, it's a reflection of I see going on in the league. I'm like, there's another example, like to be fair, like it's time for an update. Like, you know, if we, if we want to keep that audience, like I'm a big complainer about like the ultimate fighter and how that's even a fucking show now. No one watches it, <laughs> like, you know, but it's still a show. And I'm like, you know, change it, make someone want to watch it. This is one of those examples where I feel like, you know, get get ahead of it. 
Yeah. And it's weird, though, because what he's trying to do in this narration, right, is turn the training camp, turn the organization into a very objective thing. He's trying to be as neutral, mm-hmm. right, as studious as he can. Yeah. I think the best term for it would be anthropological. It's what they're trying to be. And there is something just always so inherently aloof in the anthropological perspective on anything, right? If you read anything about some, you know, dude in khakis who goes to Africa and writes about like the the tribe, you know, the Hadzi or something, or goes <laughs> to the Amazonian rainforests and, you know, brings back their journals, you know, unless they get really in the grit and grind with the locals, right? Which can come off as well, like that kind of gonzo style, which, you know, <laughs> you just admire. Uh, it can come off as real, I don't know, this, this dilution of the reality this aerial perspective that that gets it and doesn't get it and that is emotionless and and also that thinks of itself as above the jock thinks of itself yeah. as above the brute big lineman right and I, I just constantly got that whenever that narration came on i was like damn this sucks but but it is part and parcel of a certain genre i remember all those great i forget what it's called but it is like this program that they had on espn where they had a 30 minute sort of summary of every Super Bowl, right? And they like kind of build it into a narrative and they have that yeah. very famous voiceover. It kind of has that tone. That works better, actually. That has this very fun trophy room. history, though. Yeah, I love that. Right? And it, it is it part of history. For that. Yeah, it this calls for it. Because it's like you said, it's a, it's a meshing of genres here with documentary, not really gossip, but like, you know, the behind the scenes, if you will, of like a cribsy kind of thing, you know, like what's going on behind? Yeah. Yeah, it has that real world aspect to it, I guess, too. But not dramatic it's condensed it's slow and like you said it's, it's moving all those little underarching stories that the narrator's trying to like punctuate with that weird language they use right and like you said it's very in the language they use it because like it's so like all the best parts of this come from just the raw footage and all the quotes i like are all from the people talking but setting up you know the backgrounds of the stories and you know introducing barry sanders that's the only time his voice really works is when he introduces barry sanders because it sounds like again it goes so perfect with the uh classic footage of Sanders just juking everybody up and down the field. Right. And it calls attention to, like you said, those, those old NFL weekly, you know, callback games that you get the breakdowns of. Um, but here though, it's so modern because it's happening when you're like, when my first time I watch it, you know, I saw that preseason game that I'm watching the next episode, like the next day or whatever, or that week. Right. And it has that kind of like exigence to it. That's just different. Like if you watch it week to week, where you're like, it's, it seems like super urgent, kind of like, you know, that weekly television show, like when you're like in like the streaming with She-Hulk and all that stuff. But unlike She-Hulk and stuff, it has like, you know, the tie-in is the live action game, right? Uh, like I said, it makes pregame way more fun because pregames are kind of boring. You know, it's, they're low stakes. It's football because you're ready for real football. But I found like every preseason I've been finding since I've been watching Hard Knocks, I'm more stoked for the Hard Knocks episode for that team that I really don't like usually, I'm just, you know, they're, they're what I'm watching on HBO. I'm like, oh, I want to see that preseason game. Hopefully I get it. It's such good marketing. Like just to like loop it in, like with fantasy football, all that it gives me a weird, like fantasy football research thing where like, which players do I actually like because I want to see them do well. Pick at the end of my draft kind of thing like that, right? It's another element of fun too, to like the real world. I think that like they've just done a really good job with, like I said, with Amon St. Brown, some of these other guys, uh, Jamal Williams, definitely like they give you your, way to get your eye on certain certain players right that does that so well yeah i also want to go back to amonte brown right because that they are such a memorable family um and i just love seeing all of the families in the crowd at the games right you just get that understanding of what it's like to be the wife slash girlfriend i don't know if they're married or not of the nigerian linebacker his wife yeah okay his wife who started just a few years like ago basically still Mm -hmm. developing 
and you get to see, uh, you know, Pimpleton's parents who are kind of goofy and cute like him. And mm. you know what I mean? Kind of giddy. Um, you see, you know, the similarities between them. Yeah. Um, or like, like Malcolm Rodriguez, like his family shows oh, up and they talk about how he fell asleep watching Top Gun like before a game. Right. I love that. I'm always into like the pregame stuff. Like, you know, do you take a nap? Do you eat big meal? Like he's like, yeah, I was watching Top Gun. They, you know, they talk about Top Gun because like it's like a family movie. Like yeah, everyone's seen it. Right. And I was his mom, her mom's his mom say like, oh, I wanted to sing uh, that Kenny Loggins song on the plane. They all said I couldn't. Right. It's those little like dumb mom jokes that are like, you know, not really cringy, but like not even embarrassing. But like just, it's just so mom. Right. Yeah. That's like, yeah, just... they're football players. You know, they have their they're they're still someone's kid and their mom still goes just like when they're kids and, like they're proud of them and even though they're not on the sideline rooting for them in the, in the lawn chair you know they're still in the stands of that same excitement whether it's in the press box or you know you know you're in the boonie seats whatever like you know that pride is still there and like showing up and like you know the kids your kid knows you're in the stands like it adds another element of pressure and i like that it captures that we don't think about that even you see parents all the time when like, you know, in the stands when they show them on the game when they score or something like that. Right. It's cool. But this is like, it's just a different level of like that one-to-one connection of like paternity. Right. Right. It's just so, I love it. I love, like you said, when you see the families and like the way they interact and like you said, it just humanizes them to such a degree. Right. Where you just want to root for them. You want them to catch the ball in that. So you hope they catch them like when they show it. Right. But it does such a good job of, you know, capturing the families when they fail, kind of how they, prepare themselves if you will to like to talk to which is the other thing i really like how it captures that that realness of support yeah and i was just thinking like how important or in an odd way helpful these shows are for our secular society who treats football as like a religion to see you know these figures not as just like gods or icons or as clips and sound bites on twitter right to like just see their small moments right it was like Almost give me goosebumps when I'm remembering just like their small talk in the hotel room because it really does just feel like a kid who like, I don't know, just got a promotion at a job and just a normal kid. The family's proud of him. They're just showing up yeah. and they're just so normal. It's so utterly normal, even though, you know, it is on a pedestal, right? Like not many people get to play in the NFL. It's extreme privilege and it's extreme accomplishment, right? And what's fun too about this whole series or season is that a lot of these players, you get the feel we're not even the focal points to start the show, right? Because they just shoot a lot. You know, I think I mentioned before I was on So You Think You Could Dance. I got a little bit of a glimpse of how these things are run, right? They tell you like, oh, we want you between these hours to come, you know, answer some questions for interviews, right? And they they film hours and hours. I film like three hours of interviews. It got pared down to like three seconds. Like it's insane. You get you get so much footage and you and you find the story, right? That's where a lot of the work here is done. That's where the craftsmanship of the show is truly done. It's in the editing room. But you see these organic emergent narratives right and he's like the sixth rounder who who is so uh you know impressive in the practices that the coach instantly is starting to call out the veterans and you're losing your spot in a week or two if you don't step it up dudes and you know what i mean and he's still just like nose to the ground and then you know that the producers are like holy crap this is a good story Let's follow the camera when his parents come to town. Let's follow him to go buy some cowboy boots. I love that. It works. But it does feel both somewhat contrived. But to me, I know how that works. It's actually coming from a sort of organic conversation being like, yo, we're interested in you. You have a great narrative going. Can we follow you? You know, What are you doing? You know what I mean? It just kind of like comes from a conversation. And yes, once again, it's staged, but then there's a reality there. And I, I think he is one of the true standout figures. Oh, of yeah. Because you have to live up to it. Cause like the coach calls you out and you're like, if you don't do good, the next practice, like the coach is not going to say nice things. Like, like you're not going to reference that one play. You did good again, unless you keep doing it. Right. 
And like, the, like you said, you have to live up to it. That's why like Pimpleton didn't really live up to it. Right. Craig Reynolds is a good one where you see him like going up and down. Like, like we mentioned, like the, who he lived up to, who he didn't, but like Malcolm was just like the perfect example of like, like, you know, we, we got our, our spot, we got our chance. Right. And I'm doing good. I got to keep doing good. Right. And like, like teacher likes me. What do I keep doing to get the extra credit? Right. That's, that's like his, his approach. And like, I love how he's always talking about hitting people, not like punching or anything. He's like, today we get a hit. And he's so happy. Like when he says hit, he's like smiles. He's like, today, man, he's like, you know, two hands out, I'm going to slap his wrist down, like get inside. He's, he's that dude. Like, like he likes his position. He's good at it. And like, you see like the like joy he gets from like legitimately like, you know, cracking pads. And like, I love the part where the coach says like, it's after the Falcons, whoever they play. I think it's the Colts. He's like, look, when I say your time is done, you're done. No sneaking out saying, I thought, you know, want me on the next place. He's telling out Malcolm. He's like, look, I'm looking at you. He's like, when I say you're out, you're out. Like, you know what I mean? I get you want to hit again, but you're done. You, you did your thing, right? I love the way, like, the coach, like, called him out, but, like, kind of liked that he did it too. Like, yeah, I saw you sneak out there and get one in. But, you know, it's that him, like, living up to it too, right? Like, getting those big plays and, like, scaring the veterans was, like, I love that part where you see the veterans, like, damn, we got to watch, got to watch this guy. Right. It's, it's, it's another like look at the again, how like dynamic a rookie of that rookie position is like no matter what spot you're playing, like where you can take it. Uh, it's so fascinating. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned, too, that it gives you a new insight into watching preseason. I don't think I'm going to watch preseason still, but at least I appreciate what it is now. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to think about how it's evolved, too, because I listen to some sports radio from time to time. And recently they were talking, you know, in Arizona and Phoenix after the first week about how they got just bullied and dummied by Kansas City, the Chiefs. And they were mentioning that the only NFL team that actually plays their starting quarterback anymore pretty much is the Chiefs because they have a different philosophy, which I think is interesting. Mahomes actually plays some preseason snaps. Mm-hmm. For the most part, no other team puts anyone of any value in these games. So it really is just a glorified tryout. More than it, it's a, a gelling, which is interesting because it wasn't that years before. Injuries, the amount of money that the owners put into each player and the fear that you're going to get, you know, a torn ACL in a preseason snap from, you know, your, your RB one is too high and they, they don't allow it. It, I'm sure it starts at that level, but it is interesting to have this knowledge that these preseason games are really important moments for a lot of players on that field for a very different reason. And these players end up making a dent so like this is fun this informed my viewing of the thursday night game two days ago between the colts and the broncos and i had a parlay and one of my parlays was Lindsay. i don't know his first name but Lindsay under the fifth string i think running back on the colts he's been a major you know running back in previous years even for the mm-hmm. broncos i think in 2018 and 19 yeah, he was shot. like their hometown dude yeah and they were showing his family in the crowd right who were stoked again because he was getting time because once again you see the season's long it's filled with injuries Taylor goes down, first play of the game. Hines goes down with a concussion. And suddenly he's starting to get reps, right? And I was completely bummed because, you know, he's at 38 yards. I have him under 38 and a half. So I'm like on the edge of my seat. He goes to 40. I feel like I lose. And then the fourth quarter, he loses two yards. So I'm back in the win. And then they somehow make this game extend into overtime. I don't even know how, if you look at the statistics. <laughs> and on the very last play that team runs, he gets two yards again, just to fucking bully me. I would have happily watched him get 17 yards. This is just like a rant. Like, please get 17 yards or get nine. Don't get two to just rub it in. But he had to get two stupid yards. Hate that. Anyways, but I but I did feel for him. I understood what he was. I understood who he represented, what type of player he was. Mm-hmm. He was the Reynolds on this Lions team. He was completely that. 
And so like, no, I don't know his family, but I love how you can map on these stories and you can project. There's a lot of projection there. He might have a completely different story. He might be completely unlikable, but you know, he looks friendly. I saw his, his, his demeanor and his countenance and his family looked happy. And that that's fun. It adds to your, to your empathy, to your, to your fiction building as you're watching sports, even if you don't know the backstory. So I just love about how it fleshed out very quickly. My understanding of the NFL, it definitely seems like this league. I, I know like a lot of like tweets recently are like jokes about like, what kind of league is this? Or this league. I love that. Like X players love to just write this effing league. Yep. That's their quote. I mean, that's it. And I'm just like, hmm. and it is like a big company. It's a big family. Even on all these teams, right? There's uh, an etiquette, there's a protocol, there's a system. And it's just fascinating how they work. Not only is these like microorganisms that run cities, to see the inflection points of the players to the cities, right? You see Justin Fields call out the fans, but he's not really calling out the fans. He's just trying to say, we work harder. Why are you guys just making us have to deal with all your whining and moaning when we already feel the pain worse? But then he's saying that to Chicago fans, which is like the wrong thing to do, (laughs) right? Like that's a great quote to come out after watching this Detroit one, right? It came out right when I was watching this. He came on a post-game interview and like kind of sulkily called out the fans for trying to pretend like it was all about them when they're the ones who putting in the blood sweat and tears and i get where he came from after watching this at the same time like there was like weird i was like why you say that like don't disrespect your fans who pay all that money that's just like you don't need to say that but he's on point as well like yeah Yeah. they feel it more than we do they feel it every monday and they have to wake up not only bruised and broken but like for nothing if they got a big l on the (laughs) sheet you know what i mean so yeah, I, I definitely love how this really, you know, shine light on the NFL in a way that reinvigorated my viewing pleasure uh, since I've watched this. So for anyone who like loves to watch movies, sports movies, just to sort of inflate or enliven or sort of like reawaken the way you watch the game. Right. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend uh, this for that because this really changed or at least opened up a new avenue to to appreciating the game. It even it's better for me than X and O's. Like, I don't care to be a, a pro. Maybe I'm one year get real technical because I get nerdy sometimes and that's fun. And I love that people love all the chess stuff. And I love that it's getting a lot smarter recently. The discourse, like, you know, you have like Cooper Cup after some games, like being asked a question and he's just like, yeah, I ran like a a, a deep two, saw the guy hanging low on the on the downdrift and <laughs> just like <laughs> the most like jargon heavy response. Right. And it's fun. I love it. You say like I ran straight, turned left and caught the ball and then ran straight again. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah but I said, it's way more than that, though. <laughs> it's so much more. It's a very dynamic game. It's actually quite quite intellectual which is why we see 45 year olds oh, yeah. being able to still that, sorry like oh, there's that great line where it's like halftime i think against the colts and they're doing terribly and like he says like uh their offense coach like look i don't got enough plays on this sheet to keep throwing the ball like i'm third like he's being serious like look we we can run through this and i can see through all this right and that was one of those really like official like there's like a finite number of things you can do right before you're you're basically shit out of luck yeah I also love the fact that they stage a lot of events, probably for a normal training camp, but maybe for HBO. Oh, and they oh, were pretty no. fun. Some of these organizations, like I said, a lot, some of these workplace things they have are like legit, like for these organizations, like even for like organizations like we work for. So they, they do fun stuff for like employees and shit like that. Right. These are like 
what places like you know peasants like us work for try to emulate and like i love like food truck day right the most basic of employee like perks like everyone gets a food truck day like for most places right but even these nflers like how much they love food truck day like i love like the the uh the debate over oxtail whether it's meat or like, if it's not meat, like if it's edible, like the cultural distinctions, like again, like the, I love how, like for me, the food parts are the, my favorite. I love seeing all the giant dudes getting like massive ass plates of just fucking carbs. Like they write, they, they go to like multiple food trucks. You got the guy coming with brisket and some, like a bag of crab. I'm like, I'm loving it. Like, it's just like, it's again, like it's the workplace culture that we're all kind of like accustomed to, but like it's with these giant, like behemoths, like big personalities. Like you get to see the way they, you know, they socialize that. Yeah. I, I loved it. Like, again, it's, it had that like that team build the next level of team building like the socialization like how these other relationships are made like those like the most basic levels like right through food like i love that like the, like the reason so many workplaces like prioritize like you know keep your ha- employees happy through food like i reference like moneyball and the love of soda but like yeah like seeing that like when they have even um eminem showing up with the mom spaghetti right it's a blatant like promo for him and them but like Again, the element of like them just like loving and they're stoked, not just for Eminem. He's like, Eminem brought food. And we're like, like they're so, I think some of them were more stoked for the meatballs than to meet like Eminem, to be honest. Like some of them, some of them dug Eminem, but some were like, he, he got some good meatballs, right? Stuff like that. Like seeing the workplace, like seeing like the, the compound and all that is just like, it, it, I don't know, it helps you like see like what inspires the players and like kind of like how they come, like you said, what, why they buy into all the stuff, like the way they're treated well, why they're treated well. And like, I like seeing all the employees you see who like make this shit happen for them. All that stuff you see with like all these rooms and schedules thrown up, right? There's so many people like making Dan Campbell's day like effective. So you can go room to room and not, you know, basically holler at people, right? And that's his job, right? And I love how you get, they're like the unspoken heroes, if you will, of this show. But you do get to see like, like these organizations, like workers, like, you know, the like the caterers, like I said, like their assistants, these schedulers, like all these dudes, like in men and women, like really make this shit happen. To me, that was one of the favorite parts about those last like two episodes. We're not so much in football mode. We're in like, we're cutting people and we want them to feel good before. And like, we see like that, um, the one lady on the sidelines, I don't know what her role is. Like actually asking Dan Campbell, like, how, how you doing today? Like meaning, like, how do you feel after you just cut like all these players? Like he actually like, like, you know, talks to her, like, like you would employ, like that was a tough assignment. Like how did, how to go? But it brings a weird like dynamic of, like you said, like the transactional aspect of this and like, you know, them as like kind of products. Right. But the human attachment, again, like these, the coworker relationship is, is real. And it's so condensed. Cause like, you're only in a football team for so long, right? Right, like you know, these people come and go, and like you gotta be really good to stay there. And that's the other thing that kind of makes it sad. Yeah, man, I love that you brought up that it's corporate culture with the food trucks, right? Oh. Um, but it's also fun too, as you see that this show is airing while it's still shooting episodes, right? You know, they bring in that comedian. I don't even know him too well before this, but Josh Adams, right? And yeah. he is just tears down the room, right? He calls out the coach, right, for for his old man complaining. Uh, he, he says his pushups look like he was doing downward dog. Uh, <laughs> he, he does calls... the best Hulk Hogan impression. Like Dan Campbell as Hulk Hogan, which I thought was like the best one-to-one comparison. <laughs> I said Steve Austin earlier, but his voice is Hulk Hogan. 100. And uh, he called Hutchinson a Backstreet Boys member coming off the edge. Yeah. I think he called him Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah. Coming off the edge. And it was funny too, just like really topical shit. Like there's so much police here, even Thor is scared. And they like <laughs> zoomed to the dude on the team that looks like Thor. The dude is funny. I like him. He oh, definitely yeah. won some fans just in this little segment on this show. But like you mentioned, Eminem comes and he's kind of awkward, but it awkward in a realistic way. Like it's an awkward moment. He's That's a what big, you expect from Eminem, yeah. to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I love the awkwardness. It just felt like such a weird cameo, weird appearance that was orchestrated by, you know, some people. So different than Barry Sanders, right? Barry Sanders shows up who I thought more people would be interested to meet Barry Sanders on the field, like from the players. But it was all the coaching staff. All the coaches wanted to meet Barry Sanders because all these guys are young. No, they they know the name, but they're probably like, you know, they don't look up his YouTube videos, right? Like, but, but like I remember I was still I saw Barry Sanders, like, oh Barry Sanders, right? Like they had to see him, but like all the coaching staff was just like hovering around him, right? And it was cool seeing like that generational divide because like you said, this, this team's like built with a lot of ex-players. That's a big part of their identity, is really getting like bringing in building that culture. Uh, but then you see Eminem, all the dudes want to hang out with Eminem, at least like get a picture with him or say what's up to him. Some of them were kind of fanboying, some of them were just like chilling, right? That's that's where this awkwardness came in. Cause Eminem's just like the shit he said, he chirps pretty hard, right? He's everything he's like, I could play that, I could do that, I could throw better than that. Like he says it so deadpan, and like some of them kind of give him some pushback. So I, I did like those scenes. Yeah, I actually really enjoy those scenes. And I think that a important part of being a successful franchise is having celebrity fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a superficial thing, but I think it's actually quite important. On Monday Night Football a few weeks ago, Bradley Cooper was at the game and a few other famous people. Mm-hmm. And it elevated the game in an instant for me. It always does, whether oh, it's yeah. Jack Nicholson. Whether it's a wife like Giselle in the stands, oh, yeah. uh, you know, any sport. I, I get stoked. I see Will Ferrell's at the Kings game. If he shows up for a season two, I'm like, oh, Will Ferrell's there tonight. You know, there's Snoop Dogg. Anytime Snoop Dogg's at any event, I get stoked. He's fucking hilarious. I hope I love what he have you heard him do a commentary for like hockey. No, I never heard that. Oh, my God. Dude, look up uh, Snoop Dogg doing L.A. Kings commentary. He did, he did like a period of commentary, like a couple of seasons. The best, the best. That's you'll funny. love it. Like You'll want to watch hockey. It's also for this fact. It's that we know celebrities on a level that is, once again, to use the same word, superficial, but deep. Like we know their tics. We know their style. We know their persona. We know their sensibility. It's like a family member or a friend to a lesser degree. But we spent a lot of time, let's say, with Snoop Dogg or Bradley Cooper, right? They have an archetype. They have an aura. They have a vibe. So suddenly we're watching the game and we're fantasizing what it would be like to be that energy watching this game as well. And the thing about being a sports fan, I think Ma- Rob McElroy, hopefully I'm not watching his name. Is it McElrainy um, from McElroy. Always Sunny in Philly, right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, I was watching Welcome to Rexham, which I hope we'll cover soon. And when he talks about the Phillies fans and what it's like to be a Phillies fan and be part of that community and how it like was such a formative aspect of growing up and it's such a formative aspect of his family life. I just really think that it truly is like it is our sort of vestigial festive gathering in American society, like all sports to a degree, but football, unlike any other, because it's condensed, there's, you know, 16, 17 games a year, then the playoffs. And every city has an identity first and foremost around their football team. I don't care if you love hockey. And I, I know some cities have like real hockey teams and some don't, right? And some have, you know, real baseball teams and some yeah. don't. But across the board, I would say like football predominantly is the identity of cities across our country. Oh yeah. And America, for sure. Yeah. And you could, you could look at that statistically. You could look at that, the numbers for who yeah. watches, you could look at that, like in the paraphernalia CEO when you're driving your car, right? When you start to see license plates in any city you're in that are always going to be your football teams, you know, there's all of it. There's the hockey teams. You're going to see Kings. I say except LA. We have too many teams and too many sports. Yeah. <laughs> so, LA's, one exception. Maybe, well, LA is so transient too with their football yeah. that I'd say it's still Lakers team. Oh, yeah. So that's one of the rare exceptions. That's why I like, I would say, but for LA, it's 
uh, basketball. Basketball yeah, and baseball are the staples for the those cities. Yeah, and it goes in waves. It ebbs. I'm not trying to say it's a blanket statement. Yeah. That's why I try to bring it up, right? There's going to be a city that has a successful sport for too many years. That's what everyone's going to gravitate towards. At, at the same time, like the biggest iconic pastime in terms of sports watching is football, right? It's on our holidays. And I get that there's there's an NBA on Christmas and so forth. There's always going to be football. Though. Yeah, there's always going to be, you know, counter arguments. I'm not trying to make like this crazy point. I'm just trying to say, like, I would love to see Eminem like in box seats and start to see like other Detroit people at the game and then get this vibe of Detroit. I remember Matthew McConaughey at Texas when mm-hmm. they were great, the Vince Young years, and it really enlivened Texas. He brought up Will Ferrell. Yeah, he shows up at everything. I saw him at LAFC. LAFC yeah. match like Just he loves sports and I think he's he's a co-owner but he doesn't like any team like USC man he cares about USC so you see Will Ferrell on the USC sideline and that's a whole different level oh it's like, like Jack Nicholson at the Lakers fucking yeah um you know Drake at you know Toronto you know Drake loves yeah. all sports he loves it but Toronto Actually, Raptors Justin Bieber sorry Justin Bieber's bringing he, he's got the sports train man he doesn't have a team but he, he brings the next level everyone he's a he's a homer and a fair weather fan but like you said, he brings eyes and like hype. Like and him and Austin Matthew are like buddy, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, they're bros, man. They go to the UFC fights. They go everywhere together. Yeah. So, I mean, I just was like getting excited, like to like think about like Detroit revitalizing yeah. and coming back to life. Exactly. And it, part of it is the culture that the football team creates. Like they get those dudes who are still living in the city that is in the dumps. It's trying to scrap its way back to posterity, right? Like I've seen so many movies about the fall and the the seediness of Detroit, you know, all um, the only lovers left alive, the total swinging one by Jim Jarmusch, beautiful film, very different, right? Um, there's one called Lost River, beautiful film. I think in terms of images, it's kind of clunky at times, but Ryan Gosling, I think is the director, a really fascinating film, like about, you know, Detroit is this almost quasi post-apocalyptic place. Um, you have eight mile that just shows that side of it, right? You have Eminem's sort of autobiographical film, you know, you have, I think no sudden move, which is perhaps one of the better ones that come out recently. It's more fictionalized, right? The Soderbergh one, which shows, you know, it's heyday as the, uh, you know, the automobile center of the country. And, you learn about the shadiness that went on, right? And the crime that went on and that underbelly sort of seeped into the city. And when the, you know, homegrown, you know, American auto industry tanked to a degree, like it was still alive, of course, right? We saw Ford and so forth, but it's nowhere near a lot of, you know, other companies that the city kind of went the same way. And you, you see the ripples of that. And it comes even into the organization of the football team because there's less money, right? So that's why they are the Lions, right? That's why we say it like that, right? They weren't always the quote-unquote Lions, and they track that on the show. I do think that they did a decent job of saying, like, the town used to be thriving, right? It used to have this aura, this energy, this aliveness. They had some really cool montages. Oh, yeah, uh, the, 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 the blues scenes- guitars? Perfect for what they're trying to convey there. <laughs> Yeah, so I really like how they mapped it onto the city. Uh, they did a really good job of that. They do a good job of that in Welcome to Rexham, right? Yeah. We learn about this, you know, small blue collar city in Wales, and you start to get the identity of this city, the spirit of this city, right? We'll get more into that when we tackle that episode, but but there there's parallels there. <clears throat> and it, in the funny parts of this show, right? The comedian who came on, Josh Adams, was making fun of how the intro to Hard Knocks was like players pushing the 
the football uh, device they use at practices, right? I don't know what it is, but it's that famous thing they have in every movie where they run the lineman and push the padded thing. that yeah, moves. And then they like, they do a match cut and they're like pushing a car, right? And he's like, y'all are pushing cars on, <laughs> on the trailer to this. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Like, yeah, it was pretty funny. Right. Uh, but it, but it shows like, you know, how there are these, these funny fictive identities as well um, that, that reappear and reiterate. So, uh, it definitely gave a lot of, uh, you know, connection and love to the city of Detroit. Detroit needs it. They need a show like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it helps. It's not a huge difference. It's not going to change the city overnight. But every little thing counts. Um, I remember seeing an Anthony Bourdain episode in Detroit when it was really down in the dumps, like in 2015. And he was trying to revitalize little restaurants, right? Because when Anthony Bourdain goes and eats at your restaurant, guess mm-hmm. what? They're going to get a plaque on their wall. It's going to get on Yelp. It's going to get on social media and that restaurant's going to get people in their doors, you know, week in and week out for whatever reason. So, you know, these little things do matter. It is going to be interesting, I think, in the next decade. I'm, I've always been curious. I want to actually visit Detroit. I've always been kind of fascinated by it as American city. But just to see where this team goes and where the city goes to see if they can have a sort of resurgence, a renaissance of sorts. I'm kind of excited for that. So anyways, rambling a bit. To sort of start to wrap things up, not super wrap things up, what are, I'd say, one or two of your favorite, just you could segue here, whatever, okay. moments in the whole six episode series? Like, what are some indelible things we haven't yeah. touched upon yet? All right. I'm going to go. We've talked a lot about players, right? We've called out a lot of the more popular ones that we like. Um, one of my favorite moments, though, is the episode where is it Deuce Staley, right? Who's yeah. the offensive coach? And who's her, um, Aaron Glenn, who's the defensive coordinator? And it's at the practice where you know, it's live where they do offense against defense and they're just chirping each other so hard up and down. Just like they care more about what's going on than the players do. We're executing these plays. Right. And they're just up and down. I scored one on you. You didn't get that one. That would have been a flag. Oh, fuck, you No, you can't call that. One. That was three plays ago. Why are you bringing that one up? That was three plays ago. I just got to, I was watching. It just reminded me of my brother, like playing video games. Like, no, why you do that? No, I beat you on the last one. No, I beat you on this. I'm gonna beat you on this one. Right. And the shit talking was like next level and elevate because they're ex-players, right? So they can really talk some shit. Uh, but I love it. They're, they're going at it. It looks like they're going to punch each other. Then they they hug, right? <laughs> they're like, they, they slap fives. Like they hug each other. Like that game where they're practice, where they're just going up and down each other. Like just, yeah, screaming, screaming up and down the field was probably the funniest moment in, in, uh, in the whole hard knocks, I thought. That was like, if you were a player on the field, like I would be dying laughing. Like, how could I do a drill with my coach and like my, my two coaches are just like chirping each other up the sideline. Like I, I was cracking up the whole time on that one. So I think that would be my first uh, go-to moment. Nice. I love that as the first one. And it's such an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator vibe they have, right? Because it's such a weird position where in your camps, you are doing scrimmage games where you're dumbing your, your best friend, your colleague, yeah. right? And you're you know, making your coworker look bad if you're part of the team is dominating, right? And clearly the offense was dominating here. And you saw how their defensive coordinator would go back in the room and be like, dude, they're embarrassing us. You're like putting me on the hot seat, bros. Like you guys got to step it up, right? And you see the offensive coordinator going on and being like, yo, you know, he's telling his players that like we made them look like shit and they're going to come out for your throats tomorrow. Like, I love that about oh, it yeah. too. That's what sets up a good camp too, though. You got to have that. You got to have that inner c- competition, right? You got to have that competitive edge at practice to get you ready. Yeah, I like so many of the small moments. It was funny like to see, you know, them joking about wearing 
cups, right? Like for your nuts, yeah. right? The player who who is talking about wearing you, you we always had those conversations in various sports, whether it's hockey yep. and stuff. You know, when you see them talking about what the new helmets look like, those oh, really those guardian uh, caps. Yeah, the guardian caps they call them, right? Which is cool. They need that, right? It cuts down on concussions. They're ugly as hell. They look like mushroom heads. And the players um, hate them. <laughs> Just yeah. like anything, like it's like it's a good example of seeing like anyone who's played sports, right? It don't look good. I don't like it. Right. Yeah. They have that one with Pimpton's like, my pads don't feel right. He meant my pads don't look good. So I don't feel good. Right. And that was the one thing, like, I love the players. Like they don't even want to wear them. Right. Like they show the guy behind the scenes, like stacking how you actually put it on the helmet. It's supposed to stick on it. And they're like, they all say it looks stupid, but they're all wearing them like incorrectly where like the ears are sticking out. So it's just like, it was a great example of like, you know, you see the league tries to do something and like the players accept it, but they're kind of like resistant to like, you know, it's not fashionable. They don't want the Ebenezer Scrooge thing looking on top of their helmets. But I, I love like the, just like, this, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like it's like the fashion statement of all wasn't fashionable, right? And so they're kind of like even the coaches like, well, you guys got to wear it. We don't kind of thing. Like it was just so it reminded me of like a parent like when you're making fun of your kid because they they have to wear that outfit. It's like I don't have to wear that, but you have to wear that. Yeah, man, those they're hideous, and it's really funny to see them all kind of cringe and talk around it because they know that they're necessary. But I love that one coach was like, this ain't a fashion statement yep. you y'all ain't models out here you're ugly <laughs> you just like call this <laughs> yeah. player ugly it's like the only reason your girls want you is because your paycheck basically so that uniform if you didn't yeah. have that uniform you wouldn't have that girl <laughs> so don't you forget that i love that about it i love that like brotherly trash talk right mm-hmm. uh it, it's just I don't know. There, there's definitely camaraderie building even in that. Uh, yeah. but, you know, they're, they're, they are hideous, but they're important. And the, they add, you know, point, I think, 008 pounds, which is quite a lot on your head, right? Yeah. And one guy was like, shit, heavy as fuck. <laughs> that was <laughs> literally what he said, right? And so it's a tough sell, but it cut down. I saw this uh, article that showed physically there was way less uh, head trauma and injuries throughout the preseason. They actually already are showing scientific results like they're monitoring it and tracking it um and there's no reason for dude to get concussions yeah, at practicing. camp yeah you know we're seeing how bad they are with two and so forth and we're seeing you know with the two incident just to segue real quick that like our movie watching really informs all aspects of our sports watching right because any given sunday i don't think has ever been more prominent on my mind than the two weeks in which two was some miraculously equivocal and shady ass way cleared to play four days after he wobbles after getting a hit right and then immediately goes down and does the the crazy um fencing fingers which is a sign of concussion right and we all know that they're gonna fire their the lowest man on the rung their like medical coordinator right yeah they love that any given sunday like you said like oh totally um so you know we're seeing that these things whether they're a docuseries or a fictional movie will help us understand the organizations the stories that build Mm -hmm. if you're a sports fan um, and vice versa, right? If you're watching sports, you're going to get more out of it if you understand the camaraderie building, right? Like I thought a lot of the replacements, like the dumb dancing scene, right? Because in, in the replacements, the fun one, right? Where they're all like dancing mm-hmm. at the bar together, even they have those those silly moments in town that they love to throw in, right? You know, they definitely engineered some of them, but like, we you know, when Hutchinson does Billie Jean, that went viral for a moment, man. That was a true energy in that room. Yep. And, you know, you, we saw Pimpleton also try to win over the crowd. I thought his was almost even better because the crowd truly wasn't on board. They're heckling him, right? They were just like 
boo, bro. This is dumb. They're all embarrassed by his idea of like juggling. And then like by the end, when he starts to do good, they started going nuts. I love that almost more where I feel like Hutchinson's great, but it kind of felt like he got a little off. He did sound kind of like crap to me, (laughs) but it was fun to see the rookie just be so vulnerable. Right. And then to see his whole team get on board because he is their like star rookie. Definitely. I think was a huge morale boost and made him feel more welcome on the team and vice versa. And then the biggest part of that, the most viral thing, oddly enough, is someone throws a towel. <laughs> They're so stoked. Did you catch that? And the guy yeah. in the front row immediately snatches it midair and just keeps waving it without missing a beat. It's so great. Um, before I saw this series, I saw that on Twitter, which is wild. Cause when I watched it, I was so confused. Uh, if you haven't seen this since it first came out, like if you caught it, like Jordan did right away, they took it out. They got sued by Michael Jackson's family. So I watched like six episodes. It was like, what episode was that Hutchinson moment in? Because, you know, every episode has one of these, right? We talked about Pimpleton juggling. We talked about mm-hmm. the comedian. Uh, we have Rodrigo doing the salsa dancing. That was another great one, right? They're all really fun. And, you know, they get basically one per episode, right? It's probably like their every Wednesday talent show star thing, right? Like they do this. I'm a big fan of UCLA Bruins. They had a big talent show recently where they all sing a different song, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a thing, you know, team building and all that. And uh, I was just so confused until I read that, like, they got sued for that, which is Bush League stuff. But yeah, there's really a lot of small moments that are pretty fun and indelible. I love Jamal Williams' speech. And I know it's, like, the most obvious thing to point to, but it is so cool to come from him, too, because, you know, he is kind of a goofball and he's not so serious all the time, right? He has incredible levity. Uh, Recently... Against the Vikings, he got called for thrusting his hips, right? And in the post-game show, he just made a ton of jokes. And it was hilarious, but it just shows how silly he is. He loves, I think, like uh, SpongeBob. I think he loves Dragon Ball Z. He loves like anime. You know, he's a quirky guy. He went to BYU, you know, grew up in Rialto. Like he has just like, it's just weird to see him in BYU, you know, Uh Mormon school for four years. I I think um, he comes off in a way that like works. He's very agreeable. He's very lovable, right? He's like playing like ball, throwing the balls into the stands with the fans. And they're like, dude, he's going to hurt someone. (laughs) He's going to have to give him his paycheck. (laughs) And they show him, he's like, he's like missing the kids, like throwing to like the littlest kid you can't catch. And he actually, like you said, he like wins over the cries. Like, don't worry. I actually run the ball. I don't throw the ball when I actually play. And they all like crack up, right? He's so likable, even when he's, you know, messing up. Was it Reynolds or was it St. Brown who gave the kid his gloves and his dad was like, that's the best thing oh, he did Reynolds. all day? Yeah, that, that was, was one great. I was going to mention. Yeah, it. that was a really good moment. Like, that was a great, you see how proud his father was of him, you know, that small gesture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that too. But I, I really love Jamal Williams' speech, right? I don't want to say it word for word because he does it better, but try to find it online, right? Where he yeah. just starts like crying by the end because it comes out that he is so fed up with that feeling, that gut feeling of losing. Yeah. And he has this ability, which I love about him, to turn on a dime, right? He can be such a jocular goofball, but he's very serious. Even in the post-game interview where I mentioned he brings up, you know, Key and Peel, right? And he was like, I was doing that before them. I I, I got my my wave hip thrust down <laughs> to, a, to a science, right? He's like, my, mine's more like a wave, <laughs> right? <laughs> it became like a meme online instantly, right? It's like a wave or whatever. But, and then people like who were Lions fans I saw were getting on his case, like they just lost. Why is he, you know? so lighthearted but if you watch the end of the 30 second clip he quickly changes like very dramatically where he was like but man that pissed me off and i was so sad and so disappointed 
they gave my team a penalty. And he's not being facetious here. He's not being disingenuous here. Like suddenly, like he almost looks like he's about to tear up. He's like, they slipped my mood a bit, man. And it's like, I love that about him. He knows how to have levity, but then he also cares. And then he's like this really perfect balance. I retweeted like, dude's a national treasure. Like I just love his attitude. Oh yeah. And a lot of the players on this team are, are great. The only kind of semi-evil one, I think to me still is St. Brown. Like he seems like just learning about like how, how his dad, you know, has him catch 202 poles a day. You know what I mean? And that stuff's fun. I love it. He's great. He's a fictional character, but I could see myself rooting for him to a degree. He seems like he was almost inculcated into this machine and he mm. kind of comes across as like a Terminator like figure and yeah. he's kicking ass and taking names. Right. I like him because he's like an example of like the system works kind of thing. Right. He has this rigid system. He's all in it. And like you said, I look like the, like the part where you saw when you see his family go to the um is it the van gogh exhibit or something like that right that <laughs> yeah, interactive yeah, I, one and his dad's like i was an art like art major in college right and they all are into art and like again like you said the other aspect of like the hard work and training for the job the intellectual side like stimulating your mind taking a break spending time with your family right i love that scene we're all like hanging out like watching it and, like like find out his mom is from germany he speaks german too love right it. he's like it's just there's just so many levels to that guy like you said like he's so focused on the football stuff but he's all like this other other elements outside the game and like i said it's like his family just seems like so like crucial and integral into like what he does in the best way right they really keep him like um like level and out know, level like level-headed and like you know he has no ego um even though he's like you know has a chip on his shoulder yeah no i love that i love that once again resonates and creates an interesting parallel to the ball family right because lavar is also an interracial marriage with a wife who comes from a very different world and culture and you see this unique household dynamic in a very positive healthy interesting light i just think it's fun to see it's interesting to see we don't get enough of that representation um you know to see a german european woman who's interested in like van gogh and a bodybuilder family like his dad like his dad had such a crazy like you said a bodybuilder probably traveled the world met, met some hot german woman right i'm like it's his the story the, the unspoken stuff i'm like this this family is awesome like i like i want to have dinner and ha- hear stories and you see the the lavar ball family right i, I shouldn't call that I'm so patriarchal uh, but that's what people look at it as right like this dude who mastermindedly constructed three gems so yes they've been kind of bust but to have three kids on some level enter the biggest stage of their profession that's extremely hard is unreal right what he did and two of his kids are superstars uh maybe not superstars they're stars right lonzo and and uh Mello. i think lamella is the best he's gonna have a pretty gnarly career little dude can ball and lonzo is a solid stud but you see how lavar right loves his wife and she has a stroke in there. So I don't know if you know about that show or anything, but his wife has a stroke. She can't speak the whole show. She literally lost her speech and how he sticks by her, right? He's this big personality. He's, he's outlandish. He's filled with hot takes. He's bloated, dude. The dude's a hothead. Anyone will call him a hothead. He's like Uh, the biggest hothead in the world. He's bigger. He makes Stephen A. Smith look like child's (laughs) play, dude. He's out for like viral, just nonsense. And like his kids don't like him half the time. He's a testy figure, but man, is he loyal to his family? And mm. you see that like he he really did develop his kids as much as they kind of start to hate him over the course of that show, because it's weird, man. It's really intriguing, that family dynamic and how he oversteps his boundaries and <laughs> he wants all their endorsement money a little. He's a little greedy, a little bit of a megalomaniac, but he's also 
sticks in it through thick and thin with his family. And you see how much they love their mom too, uh, right? Who's radically different, not sports at all. You know, she can't speak anymore, but you just, you know, you get her vibe even so. And I just like that. We didn't get that much from St. Brown, but I, I definitely yeah. was projecting their family on them. Um, the Van Gogh immersion thing sucks, by the way, people don't spend your 55 bucks. <laughs> you I went, you know, when I was in Columbus, um, God bless my, uh, I, I guess my, my wife's, I was, let's call her, like great aunt godmother just like kind of surrogate grandmother figure who took us it was a lovely afternoon but i just feel bad because it's like pricey but man it was so corny it's like such a corny experience we were just like um but it was fun to watch them to to them do that it was it was uh, a good insight those little insights the cowboy boots the hotel room with rodrigo that you know to get these little behind the scenes stuff the hutchinson family right in the box seats they're quirky they're likable they're a kind of rich and you can see them as this entitled, you know, upper, upper middle crust family, but there's something kind of, I don't know. There's something kind of homely about them. Too. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like, it's a necessary view, right? Cause he's like the star, not the star of the show, but he's like the gem of the lions and that's the angle, right? Cause they did so bad last year. They got a good draft pick and we want to see that draft pick. Right. And he's, he's got the look right. For sure. He has the persona like Aiden Hutchinson, like, you know, he has that like, charisma with the fucking paint, painted face and all that stuff. Right. He looks the part. Like when they when they pick him in the first episode, but I like how it diverts away from him. And we kind of mostly see his family and the other two. And then we just see him on the field, right? Which I kind of like because I don't think he's all that interesting behind the scenes other than when he's talking to uh, Easy in the tub. I love the conversation they have about college, right? Because Easy's from Nigeria, right? It's Nigeria, right? Remember right? Yes, um, I believe so. Right? He has so. a foster family uh, somewhere in the South, right? And he's talking about how like for him, you know, he didn't really understand like the big deal about some of the schools. Like he got some good offers, obviously. I remember Aiden's kind of like blown away, like which school he picks. Like you pick that. Out of all those he, offers, he Memphis. Yeah, yeah, he Memphis. Memphis. He, he had offers like Michigan, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So like, I love the conversation, but like, he's like, explains to him, like, you know, it's like he's like, yeah, but for me, like, it was all about like the structure of the Foster family I had, like the people around me, like who I could trust, like you know, it was like a way different thing than like like Hutchinson, like his dad played football, he was on the track from from a young age, and like like we said, another example, like the system and structure working, uh, just you know, from a different angle, coming from like the, the pro football angle. But like that conversation he has with him was like the most interesting moment we got of Hutchinson not being a superstar. His his moments were a little more manufactured. His parents weren't, which I thought was like great. Like is it, it made that Amon like Amon Ra's dad comment not be, sound like judgmental and harmful or anything like that, right? His he's consistent with like such jests and like he's just being real. He's like he's like the dude got drafted second and got like a fat paycheck. They're up there. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. He's like, and like, you know, and we're here. Like, that's cool too. Like, you know, we're here watching our boy play. I love the way he like frames it. And like, it's fun. It's that jovialness, like that, you know, just pointing out, like, you know, the trajectory everyone's on. And like, we're part of that now. Yeah. I, I think that I liked it in the sense that like there was a little bit of envy in it and a little bit of jealousy in a healthy way of like, that's what we want. Yeah. That's what they're at. And he's the prima donna to a degree. He's the diva on the team to a degree. But it wasn't like we're their enemies, right? We're their adversaries. He's more, I got this from, you know, he's a heavyweight champion, right? He's like Arnold. He has a very capitalist, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality as a father. What he's trying to honestly say, in my opinion, is that's what we're going to be, right? The Um, next contract, we're going to get that box. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the next one. So he's not, woe is me. He's not playing this like pity party. You know, they're close and they're going to be there because uh, he's his numbers are phenomenal. You want him on your his, your fantasy team, right? Yeah. I, I mean, after watching this, because I didn't know about him on St. Brown, the first thing I did, I swear, was get into every one of my fantasy leagues and be like, please, is he still available? Guess how, no. and we're on the same, and, our, and the fantasy league, we play on the Cyburn 2 together, but the one we yeah. play with like our families, 
my fiance picked them up because she happened to watch one episode when he was on on the, on the hard knocks she doesn't watch it as frequently as i do but she, she's really into football she's like who's this she's like this dude i like his attitude right i like his family she's like she said, so like i said at the end of the draft of our draft she, she snatched him and i was like i was like that's a pretty good snatch i, I was like i was like thinking about him and then in one league, I got Jamal Williams at the end of the draft. And I'm like a dumb move. I'll say it on air. I actually had to drop in to make space and I regret it now. Oh, that's yeah. tough. Could it happened. <laughs> it happens. Uh, I immediately after this also bet like the, the, the Lions on the over just for fun uh-huh. on the six and a half. I thought they had a good chance and I don't like the way they're trending right now to get over six and a half games at all, but whatever. Um, it definitely informs you. You start to like something, right? And you are definitely biased in a way that's non-objective. <laughs> but you know what? I loved the fact that the season ends, right? With a question to Don Campbell from the producer, right? I, I don't know what, what exactly the producer says. I didn't write it down, but it's an open-ended question of like, where do you see the Detroit Lions in 12 months? Oh, or where do you see them at the, the end Detroit of the Detroit Lions do in 2022 is the question. Uh, Thank you. It takes him how long to answer it? A minute and a half. He has the longest dramatic pause. He starts rubbing his goatee. Man, is he sit he uncomfortably with that, that question. question. He did not prepare for that at all, which is interesting. But also I love, I love people that are willing to take up dead space. I, I can imagine that he thought it would be edited out, of course. Yeah. And it is a little bit of a undercutting of his image to leave that in there right like the coach should have this question but it honestly makes him even more likable to me because if the coach is really robotic and has this like service answer ready right i don't know it comes off as just disingenuous and you see Mm -hmm. him like pause I, I don't know what, what comes with grit is an understanding that you are not the best, right? It, the season yeah. opened up, you brought up the quote, right? Like if you have three toes and half an ass, we're going to beat your ass. But he also says like, we'll take you to the landfill, right? We're going to, we're going to grab you and tread water until you drown or something like that. <laughs> he has all these crazy analogies that like, don't even make sense. He's like referencing Metallica, and all this wild shit. Love it. But like, he doesn't even make that much sense, but he's like so heartfelt and sincere about it, right? Mm-hmm. That you believe it. And he's also self-aware, right? And I think he says, we will be the team that can and will. I just love that line. It's so good. It's so literary. It's this grammatical anomaly. Yeah. And it has so much in vague words, right? We can and we will. And yes, it's non-committal. And maybe if you're like a Lions fan who's a little bit in a you know fantasy land, you don't like how pedantic it is. You want him to say like, we're going to have a winning season or something, right? Uh-huh. But I don't know. I liked it more. I liked it. We're, we're, we will be the team that can and will. Like we're going to set a mindset. We're going to strike the ship and we will do it. And they're not doing it like on the on the win loss sheet, right? Yeah. But like we always say this and it is true at the end of the day, like winning, losing isn't everything. It's a lot. It's the end game. And when you're doing all the things right, usually you end up getting the W's on that win on that column. But I don't know. It does feel like they're making progress. Yeah. As an organization, they're not the the Broncos right now, a team that's like in crisis mode that has no identity. They don't feel like that. No, not at all. Yeah. No, Um, I agree. Like, like you said, if I was doing like a mid, not mid season assessment assessment from where where they're at now. And like you said, I I was disagree. I think like, I like, I think it's this poor choice. Like as you said, wait, the poor choice on the editing. Cause it's cringy to watch him take so long to think of like three words and it sucks. Right. Cause like they show all that and everyone else probably thought pretty long on theirs too, except the dude who says, like I said, last year was a bitch, right? I'm gonna say it again this year. It's a bitch. Right. Like, which I thought like, it gets fine. His, his is more for comedic effect, but yeah, like, I don't know. I think I, cause I think the second time I watched it, that's unfortunate because I'm watching this two times now. It doesn't land as well because like you said, it's searching. I wish he used more words to say there'll be wins and losses, but we will do this. 
that's the one thing of being like a little overly critical because he does that a lot in in the show you know there's some good moments where he says like what he means by those teams like the canon will he says some concrete things and i think the players could actually take away from it that's one thing i really liked about his coaching style was like he's pretty positive dude he doesn't like to focus on the negative and that's definitely part of his style but like that was one where you can see why like, he's struggling with how to frame the negative negative and he did such a good job during the season of that i felt like oh i thought he's gonna get like a really good send-off but i think like like you said it was an unfortunate editing choice though interesting right yes no that's there like he definitely paused in a way that showed that he was having to reframe the negative right like a (laughs) winning coach doesn't have to pause like that that's so intriguing it's so fascinating uh to see that in action and you know people now can call him out possibly to say that like there you you see the lingering doubt and that's why they can't finish a game like it's just that pause that's the difference maker the brady's the world don't make that pause they don't. So maybe maybe that's the interesting sort of reveal that like they're super likable. They're, they're they're making maybe baby steps, but they're not there yet. And the season ended or the, you know, the hard knock season ended showing us that as much improvement as they possibly made or as much character building as they've gone through, they're still not there yet. I mean, that that could be the narrative, in my opinion, the meta narrative, because if there is something that matters, it's this idea, this belief, this faith and conviction that no matter what's happening, like you're going to be on the the upside of every single game. And he's trying to instill that, right? When they finally win a preseason game, he comes in that locker room and he was like, you know, just in, you know, seventh heaven, right? He was on like sky high. Like, I think he said something like, remember what this feels like. This is, you know, what it feels like to win, blah, blah, blah. That's what he wants so bad. But you see at the end, he doesn't even quite know how to manifest it completely. Even though he talks about his players, not knowing how to manifest, you know, greatness and trying to manifest it. So, you know, the interesting thing to me though, is that like, we're not born with these things and we, we don't, keep them forever like even if you're an all-star in one league you can quickly become a loser in a ne- in the next league and and slowly that'll that there's a an attrition that will build and it'll sink yeah. into your mentality no matter how you know on top of you know the tent pole the the hierarchy you once were you spend three years in the dregs of your your league whatever it is your company you're going to have little shifts that happen mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to rework those again. You have to build those back up again. And sometimes it's not fair, right? Because sometimes you are a talent that just got stuck on the wrong squad, right? Uh-huh. And you have to then be the all-star that lifts everyone else up, right? Because a lot of these players were paragons of excellence in college, right? Yeah. And now they're, you know, they were on teams that couldn't lose. Like Hutchinson was on Michigan. They were great for the last five. Now they're on a team that loses every Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. So it's just tough, but but it's interesting. So anyways, do you think this is an underdog or an overrated and why? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and say this one's an underdog because I was underwhelmed that it was going to be the Lions. I think they did tw- I think they did it last season with the Lions too, if I remember right. Yeah, because they had golf. And I remember I, I, there was one I didn't really retain. Last season didn't stick with me. The Raiders one was really good. Uh, I'm not a big Raiders fan, but I loved the behind the scenes look at the relationship between Carr and Gruden at the time. It was like, there's such a weird duo and like like i'm like overly critical of car but i love the scene like the that organization behind the scenes so this one i was like not super stoked for the first episode but by the end of the first episode i already knew which players i like which players this season i was interested in like i already found like my little avenues to like the the real world quirks i was like whatever reason it didn't click last season but this season's presentation of like i think it was it was two things. It was Dan Campbell doing like the up downs in that first one. Funny, great leadership. And then that speech by Jamal Williams fucking landed. Like that was one of the better speeches. Like, and like you said, coming from him, 
the delivery, the and like you said, coming back to like remember the fucking record, remember the record from fucking last season. Anytime, just remember that fucking record, like him blowing up, and when he gets really emotional, punctuates it right. He had some other good one liners in there too that were like pretty like intimidating lines, but that one like remember the record really stuck with me. So I like that. I like the the mission they're sent on in that first episode really stuck with me. So this one was was a an underdog. I, I was expecting to not not really care. I was expecting to watch the first episode and be like, eh, maybe I'll come back to it. But it kept me into the preseason. Yeah, it's a funny thing to think of too in terms of sports movies and tropes. And you think of like these movies sometimes that are really well crafted and written, right? The screenplay is like very eloquent. Mm-hmm. But you then think of like real life speeches and like, you know, the Jamal Williams speech, which actually isn't that eloquent. I'm sorry. Like he, no. his speech after the thrust call, right? The hip thrust is actually really well said and mm-hmm. articulate and well-spoken. That scene, he's just overly emotional, but man, you feel his earnest intensity, right? And it me- speaks more than the words speak, right? And there's a few yeah. scenes where David Campbell actually like gets real and that matters more than his his really goofy, corny analogies and metaphors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I, I think this is an underdog for me because it kind of transcends the gimmicky surface elements of the reality TV, you know, mode. You know, this isn't high cinema. This isn't cinema at all. But like, this isn't high art, right? This yeah. is quasi disposable television. But I don't, I, I hate that word because, like, I feel like these shows really do inform me and stick with me. They always do. I, I mm. as much as anything, these people stick with you, and that's probably the thing that also I think is the biggest winner. Is that like I was Google searching where did you know Pimpleton end up before I even learned in the show? They uh-huh. I love that they follow him to New York and he gets on the the practice squad there, right? Yeah. I was you know I was looking up does Easy stay on the team? You know I, I I'm interested in these people now. I, I'm interested in their life trajectories. I'm rooting for all these people. I'm rooting for more people and you know not having hot takes or hard takes on people who are human. It's just like a, an affirmative experience, right? It, it It's only improved my enjoyment mm-hmm. and it's taken almost nothing away. I, yeah. That's just a total win in my book. So Definitely. really love this. I know that it's very hot right now. Like as the season's going on, watch it now if you can. Mm-hmm. Cause like last season's Colts, doesn't interest me anymore. I'm sorry. There's some that don't. That yeah. Raiders one I want to watch though, because I love Carr and I love Gruden Carr's yeah, dynamic. That one I will st- be rewatched. Yeah, sure. I could watch that today. But there's some that do have a short temporal relevancy, right? That's a, one of the problems with these types of formats, right? There's not posterity to them. Um, and this one isn't, I don't know if it'll have incredible posterity. I think it'll always be intriguing, Yeah. but I don't know if it'll, you know, be as good in a year or two. So watch it as quickly as you can, I would say, mm-hmm. because it might be in a, I don't know, it's not overrated, but it, it won't hit on all the levels. Yeah, it, won't be as as relevant. It, yeah. it might lose, lose its relevancy. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's a big win for us. And uh, thanks for listening. We're going to continue covering everything poker movies. Um, you know, we're gonna do some docu-series, we'll we, you know, some more untolds. We're gonna do some welcome to Rexam. We're gonna do hopefully some baseball classics, Field of Dreams. <laughs> I know Jed has a fun take on that, and I would love to take in his very ancillary sort of entry into that movie. Like I, I love that the Don Shanahan's of the world love that movie, but like I know that the Don Shanahan's of the world are gonna <laughs> love that movie, right? It's so perfectly like you know, iconic. But when you get like weird people like mostly into art house movies that hate sports movies for the most part, maybe that's too strong, but like it's not their go-to find like something I, I get really intrigued. So we're gonna have some unique guests, I think, in the future that cool. I've been talking about, just trying to hype y'all up. Um 
You looking forward to anything soon? You want to cover anything soon? I was maybe thinking maybe Mighty Ducks. I don't know. That TV show. The TV show. Cool. I haven't watched it yet, but um, I know it's on its second season, but maybe that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to Wrexham, to be honest, because I'm making mm-hmm. my way through that one. Me too. And then in terms of sports movies, I, oh, one I was maybe thinking, I don't know if it might work, was the Avalanche and the Red Wings documentary about the March cool. 30th or March 5th fight. Um, I watched that one recently. Uh, maybe we might cover that one. I don't know if Sounds that good. Have the relevancy, but yeah, I love all this stuff. That's really docu series mm-hmm. in this world. Um, yeah, that one's I, really good because it has a a Q and A. It's basically framed around a Q and A with Claude Lemieux and um, the dude dummy disaster in that fight that started the, the dude who got revenge. I can't think of his name right now. Shame on me. But it's framed around them just coming together and having to talk about it in. Mm-hmm red wings territory so like props to claude lemieux for like showing up but it has some great stories and it's really good behind the scenes looks and uh really uh tells both sides of why you know why the animosity kind of still persists awesome yeah let's do it let's do those i mean i'm all for those i absolutely love more documentary style stuff on Mm. sports to a degree um the fiction stuff's fun too and we're going to continue all of course you know, keeping up track with those. I love the nostalgic factor of that, but it's it's really fun and interesting to to look at the behind the scenes, right? Yeah. These real people, because it's so filled with drama, right? Like, you know, there's a famous proverb that like fiction, I don't know what exactly it is, uh, but like along the lines of, I can't say that there's a proverb and not quote it correctly, but I'm going to like, uh, you know, fiction can't touch reality, right? Like fact is more insane than fiction is. And, you know, I, I sometimes believe that. I, I don't like to take a hard take on that because I love creativity and artistry as well anyways we've tackled a lot thanks for listening y'all peace out